The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. You're with Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Yes, good day, good day. Welcome to the show. It is great to have your company on this Tuesday, the 14th day of November. Now, here's a meaningless and trivial way to start the show given the date, November 14. You know how every day of the year has some kind of dumb national day? Don't you get sick of it? And sometimes they have more than one. Well, it's one of those days. It's a doozy. Now, it's World Diabetes Day, which is a seriously worthwhile commemoration because it can be a foul impost on your life, diabetes. But it's also, listen to this, National Spicy Guacamole Day, National Pickle Day, Operating Room Nurse Day, (laughs) and Loosen Up, Lighten Up Day in one day. In fact, I guess if you eat too much spicy guacamole and and pickles, you'll be forced to loosen up privately and you might also meet some nurses on the operating table. I don't know. Uh, You can celebrate it in full, I guess. Who comes up with these national days? I want that job, but can we restrict a day to one commemoration and one awareness campaign? Why five? (laughs) I do not get it. I'm broadcasting. As I speak live from our Gold Coast studios in Queensland, um, they call it the Sunshine State, and it is today a little bit of a cloudy start, but uh, this is absolute paradise, as many in this part of the world know. Today, just when you thought things were quietening down on the presidential election front, oh no, keep up, keep up, Donald Trump has thrown another one of his famous curveballs and suggested signing up a media monolith to be his running mate next year. And uh, out of the blue, another GOP candidate has thrown the towel in. All of that has been happening in the last 48 hours. Now, my special guest on the program will be geopolitical lecturer and political scientist Stuart Hooper. Good time to have him on. I'm looking forward to hearing Stuart's analysis of what is a very tumultuous world. And there's some finger pointing going on against Israel after enormous damage was done to their main hospital. And uh, they claim that Hamas has a kind of... I guess de facto headquarters underneath the hospital. Hamas says, no, they don't. And you know the usual stuff, but boy, oh boy, you're talking about babies and pregnant mothers, etc., etc., in that hospital. Um, something needs to be done to go after Hamas and leave the Palestinian people alone. Now, how do you solve the turmoil that I've just mentioned? How do we find peace from a very unpeaceful position that the world is in. We'll discuss a whole range of geopolitical issues with Stuart, and by all means, join the conversation on our talkback lines. On the net zero climate change front, you'll love the investment and research guru I have on the program today. Greg Canavan is his name. He's from a mob called Fat Tail Advisory. Don't get worried about the name. He is a genius. We'll discuss the madness of damning gas, the impossibility of net zero, and the suicidal spending plan, which Western nations have stupidly all embarked on. So don't miss that interview with Greg Canavan. And from down under today, the very frank and real Federal Senator Holly Hughes is on deck. Let's hope the bells don't sound and she has to go in for a division or a vote. 
But there's so much to work with today with Holly. We'll jump on this huge statement from the boss of the ANZ Bank that home loans are now only for the rich, which is a terribly sad indictment on the state of the economy in Australia. And a split has emerged in the government over what the foreign minister said should happen in Israel. Penny Wong wants a ceasefire. And she's got a a very large contingent in her camp, of course. The Prime Minister says no, and there are arguments in both ways. But um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. They uh, pretended to be on the same page, but not anymore. That and a whole heap more with Senator Hughes a little bit later. Plus, our talkback lines, they are open. They are free to those with something to say. Uh, Tell us what you think about the biggest topics of our time. You can dial in from the United States or Canada on 1888 201 6425. From the UK, 033 0024 1026. And from Australia and New Zealand, 1800 670 310. This is the place to get it off your chest. But let's get moving. You're with Chris Smith broadcasting live on the Global News Talk Network, TNT Radio. Catch the news on the go. I listen on the way to work. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Now, if you were listening yesterday, you would have heard me steering your attention away from the Gaza Strip, at least for a short time in the program, and back onto Ukraine, because the old comedic actor turned real-life president, Vladimir Zelensky, that is, has canned all elections. Of course, the last thing he wants is the Ukraine population voting against his fight-to-the-end edict and demanding a negotiated peace. No way, not Vladimir, the international hero. That's no way to be a generational legend. And he obviously doesn't think the Ukrainians deserve a vote anyway. This is not a democracy. You're not wrong. It is just appalling. But today, I want to steer your attention away from both war fronts, just for a time being, and back on the US presidential race on the red side. A lot's been happening in the past 48 hours. President Donald Trump has given another pointer as to who might become his running mate next year. And I've got to say, it's a mighty bombshell. In a podcast interview late last week on the Clay, Travis and Buck Sexton show, The former president was asked directly by these hosts if he'd consider former Fox News host Tucker Carlson as a potential vice president. He had raised it briefly previously. As you'll recall, Carlson was fired by Fox News back in April, just days after it agreed to pay Dominion Voting Systems $787 million to settle claims of defamation out of court. And a story only last week revealed that Rupert Murdoch thought that Tucker was getting too big for his britches. Now, since his departure, Tucker has launched a video series on the social media platform X, which has been viewed by about a hundred times the audience he was reaching on Fox at the best of times. All this success on X, while Murdoch still pays Tucker's contract to remain off media, but off the kind of media that would normally be regarded as direct competitors to Fox. No one ever thought that the old Twitter format could give Carlson such outrageously widespread exposure. They'll think about it next time they're designing an exit contract. Now, in August this year, on the night of the first Republican presidential primary debate, Trump chose to appear with Carlson in a wide-ranging interview. It rated through the roof. 
And so, as the former president has established a working relationship with Tucker, the conservative host, he's also been increasingly critical of Fox and its corporate ownership. He says he was upset by Fox's decision to pull Carlson off the air earlier this year. So here was Trump on last week's podcast, clearly suggesting that Tucker Carlson was in the frame. Would you consider Tucker, though, based on the... I like Tucker a lot. I guess I would. I think I'd say I would because he's got great common sense. Now, could you imagine that actually happening? Trump and Carlson on every Republican election poster and billboard across the country. Now, before you say, no, 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 how ridiculous. Before you say that, did you ever imagine for a second, say, two years ago, the surreal repeated persecution of Trump by Democratic attorneys or the real prospect of Trump winning next year's election while sitting in a jail cell? These are real concepts. Never say never in US politics because the surreal is now the real. Now, the mere mention of a Trump-Carlson running partnership has caused those with Trump derangement syndrome to explode. For instance, the Daily Beast wrote, Donald Trump just made the idea of a second term even more nightmarish. (laughs) They're imploding, you see. And it's more than just the oddest of political couples. Trump and Carlson, they have had their share of clashes. As part of its litigation with Dominion, You remember those internal communications from various hosts that came out, were presented, including from Tucker Carlson, showing them bashing up Donald Trump and throwing cold water on his claims of an unfair 2020 election. Carlson wrote, I hate him passionately in one text message. Hate's a strong word to ignore, but Trump has obviously decided to ignore it. Carlson has repeatedly dismissed questions about if he would consider a run for the presidency himself, but no dismissals have been forthcoming this week since Trump's podcast interview last week, which is interesting. Meanwhile, another red candidate has made a surprising exit from the presidential race. The New York Post reports Senator Tim Scott unexpectedly announced on Sunday night that he was suspending his 2024 presidential campaign as polls showed him failing to gain traction in a race, of course, so dominated by Donald Trump. Scott announced he was suspending his campaign. That's five days after that primary debate in Miami, the third, in which I think it's fair to say he failed to stand out on the stage. But no one saw this coming because Scott has funds to burn. He's got donors to burn. And he wasn't the most unpopular candidate on the scorecard. But this is how he broke the news Sunday on Fox. If you ever want to love your country more, run for president. Traveling this country, meeting people has been one of the most fantastic experiences of my entire life. I love America more today than I did on May 22nd. But when I go back to Iowa, it will not be as a presidential uh, candidate. I am suspending my campaign. I I think the voters uh, who are the most remarkable people on the planet have been really clear that they're telling me uh, not now, Tim. I don't think they're saying, Trey, no, but I do think they're saying not now. Now, this was a shock to the host at the time, and it came as a shock to even his campaign staffers, who were apparently unaware of his decision. He's the second major candidate to leave the race since the end of October following Mike Pence's withdrawal. Scott, 
who's the only black Republican serving in the Senate, so far has not endorsed any of his rivals. Donald Trump might be facing four criminal indictments and numerous felony counts, but he's still way out in front of his colleagues. And one by one, they are falling by the wayside. Only 51 weeks to go. This is TNT Radio. Checking off the boxes. Established, reputable. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And there's even more to talk about when it comes to Donald Trump. Uh, It's come up again today in the news, the word Trump, but for some very sad reasons. Mary Ann Trump Barry, the oldest sister of the former president and a former federal judge, has died. She was 86 years of age. ABC News reports that she was discovered in her Fifth Avenue apartment at about 4am, sources told ABC. There were no signs of trauma, no signs of foul play. Barry was a senior judge on the US Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit until she retired in 2019. She was appointed to the US District Court for the District of New Jersey by then President Ronald Reagan in 1983. And get this, she was then appointed to the US Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit in 1999 by then President Bill Clinton. Barry retired amid an investigation into judicial misconduct related to alleged fraudulent tax and financial transactions made by her father and siblings. The investigation was simply shut down when she retired. Three of the president's four siblings have now died. Three of the four. Robert Trump, his youngest brother, he died in 2020 at 71. Fred Trump Jr. died of a heart attack at just 42 years of age in 1981. The former president's relationship with his older sister was extremely strained. You may remember when his niece Mary published her book and released some, well, technically illegal audio recordings she made of her Aunt Mary Ann. And Mary Ann was caught bashing her younger brother Donald. In a conversation secretly recorded, she said all he wants to do is appeal to his base. He has no principles, none, none, and his base. I mean, my God, if you're a religious person, you'd want to help people, not do this. But the siblings had been on a road to repairing things, according to ABC News, and had seen each other recently during the summer at Trump's club in Bedminster in New Jersey. Mary Ann Trump, dead at 86. We'll take a break. We'll come back and talk geopolitics right after this on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Steve Hook. Adam is driving what they call the doxing truck uh, all around Harvard, and he's been doing this for a couple of weeks, and it's basically a truck, uh, LED lighting all the way around it. It's like a big box truck, and he flashes the names of students who have signed a letter that is, uh, well, if you read the letter, it's it's obviously pro-Hamas, and Um, Obviously, Adam has taken issue with that. And he's saying, you know what? If you want to put your name on a letter, don't think you're going to be doing it, um, you know, behind the scenes. We're going to let everybody know who you are. And if you proudly sign that letter, you shouldn't mind this at all. Well, as you can imagine, a lot of people have minded it. Um, And even a few of those people that signed the letter originally have now rescinded their signature and said, I don't want any part of this. And part of that is because Fortune 500 companies and other big tech companies are taking notes on all of these names and they're just not going to hire them. And a couple of them have come out and said, um, good luck, you're not working for us. Steve Hook on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. 
No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, here we go. Israel's Defence Minister, Yohav Gallant, claimed Monday that Hamas had lost control in the Gaza Strip. Now, this declaration has occurred as troops from the Israel Defence Forces posed for a photo inside Gaza's parliament building in Gaza City after capturing the site. Yohav Gallant said there is no force of Hamas capable of stopping the IDF. The IDF is advancing at every location, he said. The Hamas organisation has lost control in Gaza. Terrorists are fleeing south. Civilians are looting Hamas bases. They have no confidence in the government. Is this really a victory over Hamas or has the Israeli Defence Minister spoken too soon? Very arrogant words, weren't they? As for what's happening at the Central Hospital right now, who do you believe? My next guest will discuss this and more. Stuart J. Hooper is a lecturer in political science and PhD researcher. He studies the military-industrial complex, uh, elites, war and globalism. Is published on numerous news websites and uh, in academic journals and provides regular commentary on foreign policy news on this YouTube channel and X profile. Stuart joins us live from Lawton, Oklahoma. Stuart Hooper, welcome to TNT Radio. Great to be here, Chris. Really appreciate the time today. I'm um, very and, uh, interested in yeah. what you've got to say because you've got a great background and I've read some of what you've written about where we are as a world and it's a, uh, you're, a, you're a great thinker and I think um, our audience will be appreciative of that. Has Israel's Defence Minister spoken a little bit too soon? Uh, I think possibly, yeah. I think uh, what Israel may have just done here um, is open a can of worms that is exceptionally large. Um, over the weekend, for instance, we had this meeting of uh, the Islamic, um, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, the mm-hmm. OIC. Um, and at this meeting, we had all of these Arab countries coming together at the same table and essentially agreeing that what Israel is currently doing in Gaza is a huge issue um, and something that really needs to be addressed um, from a a, mo- a multilateral perspective. Um, so what Israel may have actually done in conducting this operation is unite the wider Arab world against itself, um, which is, of course, the last thing that it wants. Now, has it repelled attacks of the collective Arab world in the past? Absolutely. And it's done so on multiple occasions. But as I've been mentioning in my analysis of this, This is now a very different Middle East than it has been in the past. We've got an active Russia in the Middle East, an Mm. active China in the Middle East. Um, We have these new players. Um, When you think back to the war on terror, uh, specifically post 9-11 and and what happened there with the US entering into the arena um, and really having free reign to do what it wanted in the Middle East. And of course, Israel being its central ally and helping to facilitate a lot of that. 
That is not the world that we currently live in. We live in a world where Russia has been in the Middle East, where it has uh, flexed its muscles, specifically in Syria. We have China that's trying to move into the Middle East as well, with not only its uh, Belt and Road initiative, but it's very interested in the energy resources that the Middle East has as well. Um, so I think what Israel is facing could be a very serious issue. So in terms of speaking too soon, I think absolutely yes. Um, and that, that, of course, that's just the geopolitical side of all of this. That doesn't even touch upon the humanitarian disaster mm -hmm. that they have created uh, in Gaza now as well. How are they going to deal on a practical level with over 2 million people in a uh, complete situation of crisis, disaster, the end of the world as those people know it quite literally? Well, Someone's going to have to deal with those people. Someone's going to have to rebuild Gaza or someone's going to have to move these people somewhere else and house them and feed them. So I think what's happened here is generally not good. It's not good for the region. It's not good for Israel. It's not good for the for the wider world. Um, but of course, Israel was attacked and I think Israel has a right to self-defense. But I think what it's done here is a massive knee-jerk reaction that's going to have reverberations for decades and decades and decades to come. One thing that I actually also saw over on Twitter uh, late last week, there were some posts going around about this is going to create a new generation of problems for the Israelis. I think what we have here is the creation of multi-generations of problems. This isn't just going to go away after one generation. We're talking about something here that's going to be remembered for decades and decades and decades to come. Um, and this is really going to therefore have the kind of impact on the region and the world that you cannot just sweep under the rug. You can't just post selfies and just say, hey, look, victory. Um, here we go. We've won the war. Um, that's not going to cut it here. This, this cuts far deeper. You mentioned the humanitarian aspect of this, and I find that to be the most suicidal aspect of what Israel is doing. In other words, uh, yes, their enemies were never going to agree with what they were doing, no matter whether it was restricted to chasing and extracting Hamas. But what they have done, they've got offside a large population of the world that were probably supportive of, of them taking Hamas out. But the way in which they've gone about it, and I know propaganda is propaganda, but even if you halve what we're hearing has occurred, they have massacred an enormous number of Palestinians and everyone that I talk to keeps saying, surely they could have done what they've done without doing that amount of damage. Absolutely right. Um, I think Israel after October the 7th and the horrific terrorist attack that they suffered, they could have absolutely um, been really the, the, the global um, country that people looked to and wanted to support and really wanted to build back up and say, hey, how can we help you out? You've mm. suffered this tremendous tragedy. What can we do to help? But then their response in, in acting the way that they have here Again, I think it goes far beyond just shooting yourself in the foot. This is like cutting off your entire leg. Yeah. And you're now currently bleeding out with an issue that um, is really unclear as to whether or not you're going to be able to address this or not. But yeah, absolutely what you said as well. In terms of the support here, you are alienating people that would have been on your side. Yes. And I think this is actually something that um, the the climate protesters have been doing as well recently. So with the, these attacks in museums and throwing yeah. things on artwork, 
people that visit museums are going to be the people that are most likely to support your cause, yeah. most likely to be more liberal in favor of environmentalism. But they've thrown this all away under the bus by acting in this way. And I think Israel is facing a very similar thing here as well, because like you said, also, and this is something that I've been wanting to explore a little bit more, even if you do halve these numbers and you say, well, this comes out of the Hamas controlled, the quote Hamas controlled health ministry. Well, OK, fine. But you're dropping bombs on one of the most densely populated pieces of land on the entire earth. There are going to be masses of dead civilians because of the very nature of how this is playing out. Um, so again, in terms of, I think how you're really seeing that play out is also the global reaction to this. Yeah. Um, the global reaction in capital cities around the world, uh, even smaller cities around the world where you're having these massive protests as well. Um, this is turning global public opinion against Israel in a way that's also having really nasty consequences in terms of the gr the growth in anti-Semitism that is absolutely now occurring. I mean, you can see it online. You can see what people are doing in the streets. I mean, really nasty, dark stuff, which when I talk to my students about this in classes, it's like, well, I would love to talk about this stuff in the past tense. This is how we used to um, experience politics. And these were some of the nasty events that happened in human history. But now we're just evidently reliving this over and over and over again, uh, not only on, on that level, but also Israel is clearly repeating the errors of the war on terror. Yeah. I mean, look at what um, the US did in Iraq and Afghanistan. W were they successes? Because that was exactly the same tactic. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And in terms of world leaders, you've got Biden slipping between supporting Israel and telling them to stop what they're doing and doing more for the humanitarian cause. You've got Rishi Sunak, who I think is starting to turn, although he doesn't support a ceasefire. Macron has already turned. He turned four days ago. Um, that's not like these men. And I just get the feeling that they're going to be on their Pat Malone, very much on their own, if they don't watch it. And then you've got Israel considering, so I saw in one story, considering hiring former UK Prime Minister Tony Blair as humanitarian coordinator for Gaza. Uh, how will the world react to that? It's either a, an inspired idea or a complete disaster. Yeah, that one is definitely going to fall into the category of complete disaster. I mean, Tony Blair is a man that for a significant period of time, wherever he went around the world, there were people that tried to arrest him um, in terms of a citizen's arrest for the war crimes that were committed in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. So he has somehow gone on this attempted global conversion into a peacemaker but people really do see through this uh, people see right through it um, and they see through uh, to an individual that is absolutely a member of the most elite group of politicians that exists on the planet um, very much in favor of uh, neoliberal globalization um, all of the stuff that comes along with that um, and has as you rightly pointed to, being responsible for some of the worst humanitarian disasters in the Middle East uh, known to man, including if you look at Iraq, um, estimates in terms of death in Iraq go all the way up to in the region of a million people. So they range, of course, and I think the low end is around 200,000. But even then, let's take the low end like we did with the Hamas example, right? Someone that's responsible for at least 200,000 people being killed in Iraq is now going to be the peace envoy in, in Gaza. I mean, this is beyond a joke, but I think something that I've also noticed really for the first time this semester in my classes that I teach here, 
students are starting to bring this stuff up in classes. Right. And without me mentioning this at all, without me bringing it up, without me giving my opinion on any of this, right? We just have general discussions and I stay very neutral in the classroom. And this is the first semester where students have been raising their hands and saying, why are we in the Middle East? Why are we sending money to Ukraine? Mm. Why do we care this much about Israel? Mm. Because they're seeing in the Western world, the cracks, the cracks, literally the cracks in the roads, bridges collapsing, crumbling infrastructure, economies that are falling apart at the seams, um, people that are working three different jobs and still can't afford to pay the rent. So this is, I think, brewing to become a foreign policy disaster for Western elites. And I don't think they're really ready for this. Interesting insight. Meanwhile, there's a story from Melbourne in Australia today about an entire school population that won't be going to school next week because they're going out in sympathy for the Palestinians. Uh, students are having their say on all kinds of global issues at the moment. Got to get some news for our listeners. We'll come back with you, Stuart Hooper, and talk further about these uh, geopolitical matters. We'll take a break right here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio News. We are, we are your station for news. News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The Secret Service has released photos of the bag of cocaine that was found inside the White House earlier this year, four months after the shock discovery. It's been revealed the US is running low on air defence systems after deploying an additional six batteries of the Patriot missile system to the Middle East. And massive demonstrations against anti-Semitism have taken place across France, with over 100,000 people pounding the pavement in Paris. Free speech is in our DNA. Experimental vaccines will never change that. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Yeah, even there. Never miss out on the news and views of the big issues of the day. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio. Or download the TNT Radio app for free. From the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. Well, I'm enjoying this analysis from Stuart Hooper. Stuart is a geopolitical lecturer and analyst. And I want to talk further, Stuart, if I may, about this Israeli defence minister who seems to be massively arrogant, Yoav Gallant. He's warned that Hezbollah is dragging Lebanon into a war that may happen and it's making mistakes. He says, what we are doing in Gaza, we know how to do in Beirut. That's a concerning threat. And clearly a threat. I guess everyone's asking how wider does this conflict grow? Yeah, I mean, that's been uh, my central concern for all of this as well. Um, I was saying from day one with the war in Ukraine that this could be the spark of World War Three. Mm. And now we have another potential spark for World War Three, um, because, like I said, this is not the Middle East of 22, 21 years ago when the US was just free to go about its business as it wanted and exert its power in the post-Cold War world when it really was the only player in town. Now we have a Middle East where all of these smaller um, players are quite intimately connected to the larger players in the region in one form or another. Um, and you've even seen um, occasions of where Qatar and Syria have fallen out of favor with some of the other Arab states for various reasons, but they are all now back in the fold and they're coming together um, ducks in a row here, um, unlike they have really since the 
former uh, Cold War conflicts versus Israel um, in the Middle East back back then. Um, so I think the, the potential for regional escalation is absolutely here. Yeah. And for the Israeli ministers to think that they're just going to march into Lebanon and this is going to be easy, the last time they tried that, that didn't go so well. In yeah. fact, it went in the complete opposite direction. Yeah. Very true. Israeli forces have reportedly found a dog-eared Arabic translation of Adolf Hitler's mind camp on the body of a Hamas fighter, which is quite amazing. What is your assessment of anti-Semitic beliefs in the Middle East, and is there any way of arresting that hatred? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's definitely there. It's definitely uh, a consistent undertone, and it comes from the very top of some of these Middle Eastern nations as well, I Iran really being the, the centre of this. Um, but... It's important to remember that there there is some history here that often goes unreported and unrecognized in that when you go back into the 1930s and you look at Palestine and the British mandate and who was in control there, well, we have this grand mufti of Palestine who actually went on a tour of Nazi Germany and became rather friendly with top Nazi officials mm. in the Nazi party in the 1930s. So when we look at this stuff, it is very deeply rooted. Um, and when you look at this conflict in particular, again, this is something that I really try to get over to my students whenever possible. It's almost impossible to point to a good guy and a bad guy here. Uh, I mean, th th these are two sides that have been at each other, warring with one another for so many decades now. And this goes back in terms of a cycle of, of violence from both sides. I mean, we're however, however, Stuart, I can't sides. get out of my head what really happened on October 7. I've seen the footage. Unlike, uh, unlike other terror attacks, we don't see that kind of footage. Mm -hmm. I can't get, a, get away from that. No, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's hard to even watch, it's hard to even put into words. Um, <laughs> And again, when you have to discuss this stuff and think about it on a regular basis, I mean, it, it builds up after after a while, right? And you start mm -hmm. to think, well, um, are we even uh, are we making any progress here whatsoever? And I think the answer, unfortunately, is no. Um, and when you look at that that attack and the coordination of that, I mean, you're talking months, if not years, of planning, um, all of the funding for that, all of the weapons, all of the, those paragliders, all of that sort of stuff, that all had to come from somewhere. Um, so, yeah, the, the potential for regional escalation is absolutely there. And I think perhaps that's best illustrated by these, uh, I think, the I forget the number, but I think it's now into the hundreds, I want to say, of attacks on American military facilities throughout the Middle East since this has occurred. Uh -huh. So, yeah, we're just uh, tipping things over. Uh, more and more actors are getting involved, and the escalation is just heading in completely the wrong direction. To the front pages of mainstream newspapers in the UK, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak brought back former leader David Cameron as foreign minister in a reshuffle triggered by his firing of Interior Minister Suella Braverman. Um, we know the headlines that Suella created in the past month or so. Uh, David Cameron was straight down to business, meeting, I think, Anthony Blinken in the first 24 hours. Are you surprised at Sunak firing Braverman and bringing back David Cameron? I get the Cameron thing. He's a, he's a quality, experienced operator in the political sense. But wasn't Suella Braverman telling some home truths about the way the refugee system is rorted and telling some home truths that probably needed to be said? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of her position, I think she's definitely uh, she's further right than where the mainstream conservative party would like to be. Yeah. Um, I'm actually more shocked that he brought back David Cameron right. than he got rid of Suella Braverman. Yeah, I mean, in terms of because when you bring back David Cameron and you put him into this position, he's in a, a strange political position because he's in the House of Lords um, as opposed to the House of Commons. Yeah. So there's perhaps a missing element of scrutiny there, perhaps, um, which you might want to have. Um, but for me, the the problem with bringing back David Cameron is here you're talking about a guy who, in terms of his foreign policy experience and he is he is now the head of british foreign policy we're talking about an individual here who while he was prime minister really headed up with france the attack on libya and what did the attack on libya do well it completely destroyed a nation state um, and it ended up creating a failed state which is still to this day basically split in two halves we had the re-emergence of slave markets in north africa um, in Libya, that's the degree to which the Libyan state failed. You had the reemergence of slavery um, in Libya, um, and of course the subsequent refugee crisis, which the Western Western half of Europe has been trying to deal with um, since then as well. Um, so Cameron, but you know when you put all this together, bringing back David Cameron, bringing back Tony Blair. Perhaps it's just bringing back every, everybody, all of the good old boys that were involved with the Middle East and the, the fight of the war on terror True. back in the day. And they're hoping to get back to the good old days of fighting in the Middle East. You might be right. <laughs> you can it, really call them that. It sounds a little bit more than a coincidence. German Chancellor Olaf mm -hmm. Scholz's governing coalition has agreed in principle to double the country's military aid for Ukraine next year to 8 billion euros. Do you expect much opposition to this massive increase in military aid? Isn't the, the public of the world waking up to the fact that this is a losing concept um, and supporting and propping up a president who doesn't even want his own people to have a vote now. Yeah, um, I think in Germany, the last opinion polls I saw that there's actually a majority that are, that are um, supporting aid to Ukraine. Um, but the longer that this drags on, the smaller and smaller and smaller that number is going to get. Have to, um, yeah. And you see this, yeah, you see this throughout um, foreign policy incidents, uh, wars around the world. Leaders always get a big boost when things start out and everyone is on the uh, looking, looking at this uh, kind of stuff in a positive light. But with what's happened in Ukraine and this supposed counteroffensive, which this is what I was covering earlier in the year, and we were waiting month after month, after month, when the hell is this counteroffensive going to start? And then we finally get there, I think about mid to late June. And where are we now? Exactly where we were at the start of the year. This is a complete stalemate. And I'm yeah. sure you saw the report from the New York Times, which said that nobody has gained any territory in yeah. the aggregate and nobody's moving anywhere. So you're just funneling more money and more people yep. into a meat grinder. So yep. how many more people need to die here? <laughs> just useless like and you know I, I just don't get it and i don't get how countries like australia and others who are so far away from ukraine it's not funny are giving more to the ukrainian president than many in europe this is europe's backyard it's not anything to do with countries like australia now just very quickly i keep getting back with many of my commentators to talk about BRICS because i see BRICS as potentially a major influential block. Uh, Bloomberg reported this week that the BRICS group of nations shared a, of global GDP in purchasing power parity terms 
is set to more than double that of the G7 by 2040. How do you see the BRICS nation shaping the future? Yeah, I mean, this is the future that we are entering. We are entering really into, I think, a multipolar world. Um, it's been a unipolar world for a, a significant period of time since the end of the Cold War. It's really only been the United States in town. But now we have a dominant and assertive China, at least on an economic and political level. And uh, we have an assertive Russia on a military level. And uh, we have these other countries that are jumping on board as well. Um, and what the developing world is doing here in terms of coming together, pulling its resources, um, sharing its goals and working together for those shared goals. Well, um, as the Western world fractures and breaks apart, um, perhaps we're going to see other parts of the world rise up to take its place and not necessarily parts of the world that we want to be taking its place. Yeah, you, you talk about a multipolar world, almost bipolar uh, in terms of behaviour and also in terms mm -hmm. of uh, territory. It um, it doesn't augur well for the likes of those who support the United States of America as the international policeman. Um, I want to I want to say one thing uh, before we go because I find, as I say, your analysis is spot on. I love your insight. How can our listeners gravitate towards what you write and what you say? Best way would be on my YouTube channel and on my X or Twitter. And you can find that at Stuart J. Hooper on both of those. That's where I put out uh, about 10, 15 minute videos every couple of days. And I do publish written articles on a variety of different websites every now and again. I don't label myself as liberal or conservative. I just try to take, take a step back and take a critical approach to the world instead of taking sides. Yeah. Things are changing so quickly, though. You know, it's not about reading books anymore. You've got to actually understand what's happening almost on a daily basis to see the power plays, the uh, intentions, the mission statements, who's siding with who. We live in a very, very tumultuous world, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not really the world that I was expecting to be growing up in, but growing up during the war on terror and just paying attention to that and then yeah. the financial crisis, um, things just didn't line up for me in terms of, well, they're telling us this, but they're doing that. These things don't align. There's clearly something else going on here. Yeah, Great to have you on the program, Stuart. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot, Chris. Really appreciate it. All right. Stuart J. Hooper, remember that name, Stuart J. Hooper, lecturer in political science and PhD researcher, and you'll see him because he, he writes and appears for many websites and journals and news sites as well, so keep your eye out. But uh, you heard what he said about what he does um, uh, on a repeated basis. You can find out exactly what he thinks about what's happening. I want to take a break, and uh, I've got plenty of room for your opinions and calls i've got some comments to get to on the chat box which you can use have your say there if you want few words fire away tntradio.live or you can get vip status and jump on our talkback lines from the united states or canada 1-888-201-6425 from the uk 033 i bet my english listeners are laughing when they hear what israel has in mind for tony blair I would have thought with Tony Blair's history in Iraq, as Stuart uh, clearly pointed out, they are not the qualifications for the job at hand in Gaza. You can have your say on 033002410261026. And from Australia and New Zealand, it's 1800 670 310.
Let me know what you think on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Children, children, settle down. No more Trump chants. We really, really want to hear from these candidates on the stage, and they worked really hard for us tonight. Children, settle down. Last night's third Republican debacle proved, in large part by the performance of Vivek Ramaswamy, just how irrelevant these so-called Republican debates are. Vivek took the GOP and the moderators hard into the corner before boarding them. He called out Ronna McDaniel for her consistent track record of failure and offered to give her his time so that she could come to the stage and resign. And then he said to the moderators that they should be replaced by Joe Rogan, Tucker Carlson, and Elon Musk. But his best line of the night was saying, if you want to elect Dick Cheney in three-inch heels, we've got two on stage tonight, referring to Nikki Haley and and Ron disappoints us. Nicely played, Vivek. I see what you did there. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. You're with Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I want to get to our talkback lines and hear what Dan has to say. Dan, thank you for calling. How you going, Chris? Good, thank you. Um, it's all biblical. <laughs> That's what I want to say. So... Prophecies are being fulfilled, whether it's by, I don't know, divine intervention or by men doing it themselves, right? But prophecies are being fulfilled here. It's like the war of Gog Magog. Do you know about that, Chris? No, but you're going to tell me. Ezekiel 38, I think it is. It's 38, 39. Big war at the end of time, and all these nations come against Israel, and it lists them. You've got Persia, yeah. Russia... Goma, that's Germany. All these different countries come together. No one helps them. And in then God helps Israel. This is the prophecy. But the, the, the Muslims believe, okay, they're only going to last 1,500 years, Chris, from Muhammad to the end of Islam. And at the end of it, there won't be a single Muslim left on this earth. So they're all going to paradise. Well, isn't it interesting? You, you even had the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, citing and reciting um, aspects of, you know, bibliological history, uh, I think it was about a week ago, in terms of what his mission was. And, uh, and of course, Islamic leaders right across the Middle East have certainly indicated that this is their, you know, this is their future, this has always been written in history, this is part yeah. of what the Koran always said. Isn't it an interesting... You make a very, very good point. We can talk about strategy, we can talk about mission statements, what the plan is, who's going to rescue Gaza, etc. But they are motivated uh, significantly by their, you know, spiritual drive, aren't they? Uh, yes, and it, it all goes back to the covenant of Abraham in Genesis... Okay, where God, uh, Abraham, 
had to circumcise himself and his entire household because the Muslims are circumcised and the Jews are circumcised. And there's a promise in there that he's going to bring them all back to the land of Canaan and basically turn them to dust. Mm. Okay, that's one way of reading it. But he says, can man count dust? He goes, I'll make you as abundant as the dust if man could count dust. But we all know man can't count the dust, Chris. Okay, so <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's not a good promise. It's, he's, there's history to it why God, for better, one of a better word, would do that. Mm. Okay? Mm. There's reasons. Um, it, religion goes all around the world, but it has to be ended. And this is the rapture, Armageddon, all this, the end times, all yeah. this stuff is, is the end of this covenant. Yeah. And it will happen. It yeah. will happen. Yeah. See, I regard that. I regard that as way beyond what my commitment is to my religion. I find that extreme. Yeah, it is extreme, and it's a sad thing for the world, in my opinion. That you know, we 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 all have to suffer for this nonsense. Mm. But God, God is into it, Chris. But God, it's God's promise; He's going to do it, and He will. Okay. I don't approve, but it's going to happen, and. You know, the Muslims are going to lose, Chris, they, they, because their prophet told them they would. And they're going, they're leaving this dunya, this earth, which they say is cursed and it's no good, and they're going to Jannah, they're going to paradise, Chris. There's yeah. not going to be any Muslims left, yeah. okay? And only the wicked ones like us are going to stay, Chris. Okay? Yeah. Um, I, I, I've got to say, just in terms of that, I, I see Israel's delay in defending their country as... Way too obvious to ignore. I find this almost like yeah. as if this is what they were hoping would occur so that they can yeah. wipe wipe this particular stain off their territory. Yeah, and uh, see, the, what they did was wrong and what the Hamas is doing is wrong because men are supposed to protect women and children, Chris, mm. and these cowards hide behind them. Yeah, and, they do. You know, I, I have more sympathy for the Israelis in some ways because the way they conduct themselves. They don't approve of this wholesale bombing, right? But Hamas hiding in the tunnels and wanting the women and children to, to be their bodyguards is sick. That's yeah, sick. You know? It's and weak, weak. It is. You know, cowardly and sick. Dan, thank you very much for that. Thank you for your biblical input. Cheers. Good on you. Thank you, Dan. It's, it's, it's true. A lot of what we're seeing has been, you know, set in their extreme adherence to their own God, to their own book, and they see that as a key driver in their immediate and long-term future. It's true. Absolutely true. Tim has sent me a message on the chat box on tntradio.live. Good to hear you're in Queensland, Chris. Yeah, Tim, love Queensland. Uh, I wish I could get down the coast. I'd bring you a box of avocados from my farm. Hey, Tim, don't let traffic get in the way of you. Uh, this is Tim from Red Bank Creek in Queensland, where I obviously now know grow great avocados. Oh, Tim, come on, don't whip my appetite like that and do me in. I want to talk about Suella Braverman for a second, only because, as I said to Stuart, Hooper, I got the feeling that she was telling some truths about how the system is rorted in the UK to get people out of their hell holes and into somewhere like the UK for a better life. And you just can't take everyone. 
You just can't take everyone. There's got to be a set of rules, and the rules are being rorted. And she was right to say that. In that event that she attended in the United States about four weeks ago, but it's led in part to her being sacked by Rishi Sunak. And I think Stuart Hooper is entirely right when he says that she's far too right for the party the way it is at the moment. It is. Like all uh, conservative parties around the world, they're now become a light version, a light version of their opposition, of their left-wing opposition. Apart from, of course, a Trump-led Republican Party. But there was a, a terrific little article written in the UK Telegraph overnight by Jacob Rees-Mogg, who is a Tory MP. And we spoke about Jacob Rees-Mogg um, only a few days ago, last week. But he writes, Suella Braverman seems to have been sacked for following conservative policy and principles too loudly for the refined tastes and sensitivities of the Prime Minister. Now, this is really putting Jacob Rees-Mogg in conflict with his boss, Rishi Sunak. He writes, at every election since 2010, when led by David Cameron, the Tories have promised to reduce migration. This hasn't happened. Both legal and illegal immigration has spiralled with a net 606,000 people arriving legally last year. This is not any longer because of the European Union. It is a conscious decision by policymakers egged on by the Treasury that is in hock to the error-prone Office of Budget Responsibility. So basically, you know, the Tories have surged in terms of immigration, are quite happy to accept the rules being loose because at the end of the day, the more immigration there is, the more income tax receipts there are and the more they keep their head above water. He writes, Suella wanted to stop this and would not agree to continue with a loose legal migration policy and she was opposed to any concessions being given in trade deals that would weaken controls. She also recognised that if the small boats are to be stopped, then the country may need to leave the European Convention on Human Rights. No doubt on Wednesday when the Supreme Court rules she would have reiterated her view in support of implementing government policy. Suella opposed anti-Semitic marches and asked the police to be even-handed. Well, most Conservatives, he writes, would consider these views fairly routine. Indeed, Sir Robert Peel, the founder of the police, wanted an independent and even-handed constabulary. Yet Suella's demand was seen as a challenge to the woke culture at the Metropolitan Police and other forces. Gee, he nails it. Regrettably, with her departure, the government is no longer going to be serious about tackling immigration. The sacking of Suella Braverman removes a champion of orthodox conservative policy that is popular in the country. This applies to the marches as much as it does to migration. Many Tories will view this reshuffle and feel that the Prime Minister does not want to deal with their concerns. It's, he's right. He's right. The woke section of the Tory party have got their way. Suella Braverman was speaking too much like the truth. And you can't tell the truth in politics, as we know. The truth in politics aren't sort of great bedfellows. So Suella Braverman is out the door. And in comes the far more woke David Cameron. That's just how it is. Meanwhile, a sad development in that legal battle involving that terminally ill baby in Britain. Remember that? British health officials and the Italian government 
um, were conflicted about what to do with the baby. Well, the little baby has died. Christian Concern said Edie Gregory died in a hospice on Monday morning after her life support was withdrawn on Sunday. The eight-month-old baby had suffered brain damage as the result of a rare condition known as mitochondrial disease. Terrible. They couldn't decide whether it was worth spending the money and the time giving that baby the ability to live. We don't value a single human life like we used to, do we? Got to go to get a break for you. We'll get some news and we'll come back with Holly Hughes, the federal senator in Australia, and so much more on TNT Radio. TNT Radio.